folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome into our Friday Roundtable here on Purple Insider, presented by Scout Logistics and by Symbol, your stock market for sports. Matthew Collar and Sam Ekstrom and our Roundtable guest today, Dr. Eric Eager of the Pro Football Focus Forecast Podcast. Uh, great stuff. You guys just did an episode with Chris Sims, which was extremely detailed on how to look at quarterbacks in the draft. We've got a lot to discuss, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we're we're almost to free agency, and we're we're starting. And this year is a, dif- a different wrinkle in that, like we're seeing starting caliber players getting cut in you know early. So we really already started free agency uh, this past week, and and it'll be interesting to see what we we get even up until Monday. Matthew Eric. and I wrote our, our top five free agent targets at each position this morning, and I already think it's obsolete. Like, I yeah. think there's already been additions that probably would have made the list. It's crazy how fast it's going. Oh, I'm always surprised that more players get tagged, like Cam Robinson, Marcus Williams of uh, the Minneapolis Miracle fame. Like, all those guys get – like, more – Allen Robinson, more guys get tagged than we think, too. So, like, all these wish lists we have end up being obsolete, to your point. And then some guys that get cut – are actually like reasonable players uh, and, you know, players I think like Vikings might luck into actually having a chance at getting given how many there are. Yeah, I was really surprised to wake up and see that the Chiefs no longer had any tackles left on their roster. And that's just 2021 offseason for you is that uh, this, I mean, people say unprecedented a lot about COVID-related things, but this really is because the the cap has always gone up and these teams plan multiple seasons out for how to handle it. And now all your plans were blown up. Uh, But Eric, where, where I wanted to begin for the main topic is something that I threw at Jeremiah Searles the other day, and he had a very interesting answer and I felt like since you look at an entirely league-wide perspective on your show and with your data analysis and everything else at PFF that you could give a good perspective on this if the Vikings did not have job security as a factor for their coach or their general manager or anybody else in the front office how would they handle this offseason versus the reality which I think is that there is job security on the line for 2021 I mean, I think it's to be totally different. I, you know, the, the, we talked off air, like, I mean, they're, they're putting a lot of eggs in the quarterback basket. And I think, you know, as much as we've given Kirk a hard time at times, like he's good enough to get you six or seven wins um, with bad support. Uh, you know, it, there's a really thin band of, of outcomes with cousins. It's, you know, you're never going to get more than nine or 10 wins. You're never going to get really lower than six or seven. And 
Like to me, that's like the bet that they're making collectively, which is let's fake it till we make it here. Let, let you know, we did not plan for the pandemic. And, and there are a lot of teams that are in crappy cap situations, by the way, where everybody's giving them flack and it's like, well, their choices, they don't have, there's not one choice that's good and one choice that's bad. Both are bad and they're making like a better of the two bad choices. The Vikings are kind of in that realm, but they've also pushed so many cans down the, down the road that it's also part of their bad decision. So I think what Spielman and company are trying to do is to put enough pieces in important places and then sort of fake it with the rest and then hope against hope that the 2020 draft or the 2021 draft turn out like the 2015 draft, which is like, you know, a royal flush of players that can come in and be valuable at valuable spots, buoy them up a little bit, get them to nine wins or something like that. And then that buys them time to sort of rebuild the roster once, you know, they get more, you know, the, the, the TV deal comes in and the money comes in from the cap. Like, I think that's what they're doing. I being sort of more of a probabilistic guy would say, if I had, a, you know, a six-year contract for my coach and a six-year contract for my GM, I'd probably trade Cousins to a team that's looking for that, like, next QB. I, I And build the thing back up and say – and do kind of what Detroit's doing, which is like, look, if we win three, four games this year, like, that's fine. It's the first year for all of this. Matt Patricia left us, left us with nothing. The problem is in Minnesota, Spielman left himself with nothing. And, th- and that's kind of the issue. Well, the the real look ourselves in the mirror rebuild should have happened a year ago. And yes. and think about if they had taken this tact last year, um, coming off of the the coach and GM getting extensions. And I know you don't want to take a big step back after winning a playoff game, but if you would have just realized your defense was going to dissolve, um, let your quarterback's contract run out, and then reevaluate after 2020. They could have let Kirk walk, and they wouldn't be in this quandary, and they would actually be one of the rich teams in this free agency. If they didn't have that Kirk Cousins contract on the books, they would probably have um, you know, some more draft picks because they might have sold some pieces. They would have um, a lot of capital to really go and build this 2021 team up, whereas I think because they tried to, to hedge their bets in 2020, now they're kind of doing the same thing in 2021 a little bit, um, and they don't have the money to, to do much to, to improve this roster. So it, it should have happened last year. I think that that's the reality of it. Well, and the quarterback class is such that, you know, at 14 they might still get one, you know, but mm-hmm. at, but – you know, let's say they had a more sober view. And, and you know, we're all, we've all followed the Vikings for quite some time. And, you know, I've followed them since I was a kid. It's like the, the, the root of a lot of their problems is really misunderstanding what some key events in Vikings history have meant. 2019 was a year where they got to play David Blau. They got to play Brandon Allen. They got to play Mitch Trubisky. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the other backups. Matt Moore, they lost to him, by the way. Chase Daniel. And they, they go 10-6 and six and they win a playoff game. And that's the they, they view that as the harbinger for things to come. When in reality, it's like no, you guys had some good pieces to to press luck a little bit and make it to the second round of the playoffs. But you know you, you're not a long term winner. And if they you know if they go into last season with that view, maybe they keep Kirk around and he plays that well. But I I can guarantee you they don't spend a two on Yannick Ngakwe. I guarantee you they don't put the franchise tag on Anthony Harris. And and they probably trade Riley Reef when they're sitting there at one and five. And if they do that, now we're talking about the eighth pick of the draft, the seventh pick of the draft. And now you're now you're looking at this as a Vikings fan thinking, oh my goodness, we get 
Mac Jones. We get Trey Lance. If we want to get spunky, we move up to the third pick, right? Miami's already got their quarterback, and we can get Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, whoever falls there. Now you're sort of in a position where, like, the only way out of this for Vikings fans is to put a bunch of lottery tickets out there, draft a ton of players, and hope that five or six of them become the Kendrickses and the Diggs and the, the Hunters that they got in 15, and they can turn this thing around quickly. And I just look, when I look at the data, I just think, you know, that's that's a good bet. To, that, that would be the bet I'd made if I made the universe of having Kirk as my quarterback. But that's not, the, that's not a bet that wins very often. I was thinking about this uh, the other day, about just these days as we enter free agency, as we enter real draft season, and how they would be different if the Vikings had let Kirk Cousins' contract play to the end. How different it would have been if they had moved on from Mike Zimmer and said, all right, new coach, Kevin Stefanski, for example, how about you play out the last year of Kirk Cousins, which probably turns out the same, considering the defense. um, You're not winning much with the 29th-ranked defense, no matter who it is. And without Zimmer, maybe they're 32nd with their talent last year. But we would be looking at this roster and saying, there's all sorts of cap space. There's all these free agents. There's a high draft pick. There's like, like everyone will look at a situation, not everyone. A lot of people will look at a situation and say, and this includes the Vikings, we don't want to tank. We can't have one of those years. We can't have a really big step back. And then when you actually get there, here you are on March whatever, 2021, you go, you know what, I guess that would have been kind of worth all the things that we yeah. would have gone through, wouldn't it? And I just think, like, that was that was the fork in the road. That was the, you can go down this road and you can try to stay relevant and win whatever number of games and maybe make the playoffs, or you can go down this road that is a little scarier because it involves some pain, but it usually comes out to a better place or, or it can come out to a better place ultimately than you've ended up where you are now. Well, and the thing that you're maintaining isn't all that great to begin with, right? I mean, I think, you know, I'm 35 years old. The Vikings have really only had five or six, like, really bad years in my lifetime. And they almost always come out the other end, right? 2000, and I remember 2002, Mike Tice took over the team, and he said in the paper, he probably said it to Judd, where he was like, or, or Royce, and he was like, you know, we have two we have two starting caliber players on this defense. Everybody, every other position's up for debate. It was like Chris Hoban and... I can't remember who else, like maybe Brian Williams or Corey Chavis or something. And it was like, and in 2003, they started out 6-0, and and they were a, a silly pass by Josh McCown away from making the playoffs. You know, 2011, they're 3-13 and under Leslie Frazier. They just drafted Christian Ponder. He didn't look like he could do anything. Adrian Peterson tore three ligaments in his knee on Christmas Eve. And the next year, they're in the playoffs. Like, the Vikings, you know, I think that the cognizia around the Vikings is – is like, well, we can't do X, Y, and Z because then we're not going to have meaningful games in December. And I look at this past December, and I'm like, really, you had one game where you were leading for a playoff spot. You go to Tampa, you're completely outclassed. You lose at home to Trubisky. Like, how much did this those games really actually, like, who cares, right? Like, build a sustainable product there and, and then give yourself an opportunity because maintaining like a band around eight and eight is to me, I think boring. Uh, and something that I feel like it is when you look at this, you know, if you're a fan and you want them to win the Super Bowl, you have a completely different objective function than maybe the, 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 the organization that wants to, them to remain relevant for as long as possible. Those are two different things. And I think Kirk 
serves a better purpose for the one than he does the other. Kirk serves the purpose of the Gary Kubiak phrase that he used last year, getting back to the hump. And Mm -hmm. I wonder how much that mentality permeates the organization because that seemed to say that we're okay with being a, a little bit mediocre as long as we're in the mix, as long as we're having those meaningful quote unquote games in December and can occasionally make the playoffs and give give ourselves a chance. I don't know. The teams like that, that's like Atlanta making the Super Bowl one year kind of randomly or Jared Goff making the Super Bowl one year randomly or Joe Flacco. You need to catch fire with a middling quarterback and all the stars have to align. That's basically what the Vikings are, are tacitly saying they're okay with if they have a high floor, low ceiling. And I, I wonder how that approach will change when and if this regime ever kind of moves along and ushers in a new uh, generation. Because I think modern thinking across sports, like you don't want to be in the purgatory and in the NBA. I mean, that's the worst place to be. You want to be really good or really bad. And I think the Wolves management locally understands that. Um, they're, like, they're, they're better at being bad than anybody is. That Like they got it. They got it down. <laughs> the Wolves. They're superb at it. They're, I think they are statistically the worst team in major pro sports history by winning percentage. So um, we have that going for us here locally. But the Vikings haven't picked up on that methodology. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, a lot of the, you know, you look at the Vikings have really contended for the Super Bowl about once a decade over the past, like, 30 years. And it's almost always exactly what you're saying. Randall Cunningham catches lightning in a bottle. Uh, Brett, they get Brett. They find out and they get Brett Favre for a season, and and then and then obviously Case Keenum in the defense in 2017, and then always the issue is looking at that for something that it's not, which is like like if you're Tampa for example, like good on Tampa for getting there and then winning it because there's never a guarantee you're going to have them like we have them as the most valuable defense in the NFL last year per dollar. Like, you're just not – that's just a random-ass thing that just doesn't happen very often. So if you get that, like the 2017 Vikings did or the 2017 Jags, something like that, you've got to capitalize on it because otherwise the actual cream that rises to the top, the New Englands, the Kansas Cities, the, the Steelers, they're there just to make up for your mistakes. And we see that in Vikings history. 98, Cunningham caught lightning in a bottle, and they signed him to a five-year deal, and he lasted one of those years – you know, 20, you know, they brought far back infamously. And then obviously in 2017, they knew at least to move on from Keenum, but I think they went obviously about it in the wrong way, which is to say, let's get a quarterback that's good enough to win with this defense, not knowing that that defense is not going to, you don't sustain number one caliber defense year in and year out. And so they probably needed a better solution at the QB position, plus a little bit of luck. I mean, they, they haven't had good luck in the drafts since uh, probably 15, if you, if you sort of grade it out. And, and taking a step backward can be really bad for you. I mean, the, the New York Jets are a good example of this, of a franchise that is bad at everything. And even when they get a good player, he is unhappy and wants to be traded to Seattle. And um, they drafted the wrong quarterback, possibly. Seems like they did in Sam Darnold. I'm not a believer that that um, turns around massively anytime soon. So you can get stuck with just having one miserable year after the other. When I was in Buffalo at the beginning of my radio career, it was this way. It was just six and 10 and six and 10 and six and 10. And it was, well, Ryan Fitzpatrick will do it. And then Tyra Taylor will do it. And those things. So you can get caught into, yeah, let's rebuild, let's rebuild. And then you never get yourself out of a rebuild, like Sam was saying. And that's, that's what I want to ask is like, 
so how do you make sure that doesn't happen if you do that? Like if the Vikings were to say this year, in, as they go into free agency, and I don't think this will happen, but let's say they did. We are not going to spend all this money on stuff. We're not going to throw all this money at one big free agent or something. We're going to take lottery tickets, like you said. We're going to get some guys far down the list and see if they work out. And if they don't and we go 7-9 and nine again, that's okay. And we'll keep drafting people and we'll have a long-term plan for the quarterback. Like I look at that as a better result than saying, well, we won nine games and everybody's coming back. And, and we must have done the right process because we got to the playoffs. Like I, I think it's – I think it's just favorable even if it can go really bad for you and you can get stuck in that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, when you look and you talk about Stefanski, Stefanski, he took the Browns to the playoffs for just the second time since Bill Belichick was their coach. And you look at Detroit, Detroit's last home playoff game was the first playoff start in Brett Favre's career. So we're talking about long, sustained awfulness. And I think when, when Vikings fans just look over and see those teams, that's, I think, what they see when, they, when, they're like, when people are like, hey, let's rebuild, because they don't see the Kansas City Chiefs or they don't see – like Kansas City was 2-14 and 14 the year that before they hired Reed. Like they don't see um, – you know, they, well, they don't even see the, the tra- trajectory of Cleveland. They don't see uh, the Baltimore Ravens sort of breaking it. Like one year they just broke it down and they said, we're going to draft a quarterback. And we're going to start Flacco until the wheels come off. They're four and five. And basically since then, Lamar has won 70, 80% of his games. Like there are, there are obviously issues. Like we, you know, Minnesota fans do not want sustained awfulness. And I think the, the, the hard part is just sort of being able to divorce the, like if you're like, let's say Detroit, divorcing the Jim Caldwellness from the Mapatricianess, right? Jim Caldwell had the the Lions on the right track, and that team hit the panic button when they went nine and seven a couple years and put in an awful head coach and completely flipped over that franchise. You know, there is a chance that like Rick Spielman's the right GM for the Vikings, and he just had some bad runs at it in the draft because you look at his other draft history, like Harrison Smith's great. Um, you know, uh, the um, Shree Floyd was good without, you know, the sort of injury. 2015 draft was fine. They, they, they've gotten some diamonds in the rough, too. I, I don't think, like, necessarily, like, firing Spielman's the best move, but th- there has to be a, a, a sort of a position in place to be like, look, we haven't had success over the past few years, but we need to keep the people in place if they're good. And there also has to be a, a place for, yeah, we had some success on paper, but it was maybe despite somebody like, you know, I, I'm not putting this out there, but like despite somebody like Mike Zimmer, right? Like, because that to me is always the issue. Like the wins and losses in every year oscillate so much, but you need to be able to look at the process and say, hey, this is a long-term sustainable winner here, or this isn't and we need to make, we need to make a change. And I just don't know if Vikings, well, the fans for sure aren't, but I don't know if even the Vikings organization is maybe ready to sort of ask those tough questions. Yeah, and, and the record is not always indicative of whether you are a long-term sustainable winner, like you said, and then the inverse, whereas I think the 2016 Vikings were were built to win, and they started 5-0, and and then injuries struck. The offensive line got def- decimated. They missed the playoffs. But I think the foundation was there, and then we saw what happened in 2017. So, And, and the opposite, in 2012, where they win – what, 10 games and then fall apart in 2013, yep. but that was a little more predictable. And and I think a little bit to your point, Vikings fans have gotten very accustomed to being perpetually competitive. There have been no sustained 
uh, stretches of losing in this franchise's history, except for like the first seven years of the franchise existing yeah. when they missed the playoffs. Since then, they've been good. Like every decade, like you said, they've kind of had a shot, maybe even two shots or uh, maybe even four shots if we're talking about the 1970s that they didn't come through on. Um, and I think it, it, it's interesting that it took like three, four years for Spielman and Zimmer to sort of like settle on the direction they wanted to go. Like they, they finally leaned into, okay, we're really going to run the ball hard. We're really going to like, you know, they, they leaned into this wide zone thing uh, with the run first. And, and you know, Pat, that wasn't Pat Shermer. That wasn't John Filippo. Like they didn't know that that's what they were going to be for a long time. And now that they've settled on this system, they've sort of like planted their flag in. This is what we are. Um, I, I'm not sure in the last couple of years they've made – a lot of decisions that are going to um, give you faith that, okay, like if this is what we are for the next five to seven years, we're going to win a Super Bowl. Hey, I want to tell you about our very cool new sponsor, Symbol. Symbol is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. Go to Symbol.app, that is S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P to sign up for the promo code PURPLE to get a $10 deposit bonus if you are a first-time user and you are off and rolling. Here's how it works. You buy stock in your teams, and then when your team wins, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. So, baseball season is starting. You can buy into your favorite team today, and as their stock rises throughout the year, it pays off for you. Or get in before free agency in the draft changes football for next season. Another thing that Symbol does is sends you updates all the time on what's trending to keep you up to the latest market movement. So, check out Symbol.app or follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange and check out the Marketplace for Sports today. Folks, March is quite the month for Minnesota sports, and SodaStick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. The hockey team is headed down the stretch, so you've got to check out the Dollar Bill Krill shirts, and baseball is ready to get started. Go to SodaStick.com, check out the Touch em All shirts, the Twinkies hats, and the Tomorrow Night hoodies. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping. So go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, all of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That is Soda Stick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports inspired goods, code Purple Insider for free shipping. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, the wide zone thing to me is just, it has a couple of aims. One of them is to get the, is to recoup the, the, value that they got from not only paying Dalvin Cook, but also trading up to draft him in the second round where a lot of smart teams don't even touch running backs. Like a lot of that was sort of to get that value back. And another one was to, I mean, and you know, I hang a banner and say like, look, this was a successful signing with Kirk Cousins. I think that they saw in 2018 that if you went three wide receivers all the time and put them in the shotgun and, you know, had him throwing utterly downs, like, there was, especially if your schedule was tilted, like you were going to get experience some bad things. And, you know, again, this is a part of the incentive thing. Like, I don't know if running the wide zone thing is so much about winning as it is, you know, proving to ownership that the decisions that we made signing Kirk and 
you know, drafting and then signing Dalvin Cook were smart and they were a good use of capital. And, you know, I get like th- that happens in every walk of life, right? Like there are people who, whose sole job it, it feels like to, to convince their boss they're doing a good job as opposed to doing one, right? So th- to me, I think that that's really the tough part. And, you know, cause, cause I just, you, you look around the NFL and it's just not a sustainable way to win. And, and, you know, the Niners popped up one year, but then predictably crashed last season. Um, I think Cleveland's going to be a nice test case as to whether that's sustainable. But even then, Baker Mayfield's on a rookie contract, well, you know, not not a Kirk-level contract. So, you know, that that's also part of my frustration is, like, if you're going to sign a quarterback to, a you know, a 30-plus million-dollar deal and in cap hit might be end up being more like 40, um, you got to use him. I mean, I, I know the Dallas Cowboys are going to use Dak Prescott, and whether or not he that, that team is good is going to be entirely based upon how well he plays. There's a couple of things that I think about a lot from based on what you said. One is these Kirk years, do we all agree this has not been good? I mean, I mean because like you get a playoff win and they've clutched onto that thing like it was a championship. Yeah. And it, that was like the absolute lowest of expectations was a playoff win through yeah. three years. They had set the bar when he got here at going to a Super Bowl or going to an NFC championship. And I think Mike Zimmer recognized they would need better quarterback play because he didn't expect to be able to just win every game with defense. And he saw what happened when the defense couldn't pressure the quarterback in Philadelphia. So I think that was the process, but the process didn't play out. Like the quarterback was not able to, you know, make up the difference between where the defense fell off even just a bit and where they needed to be, especially in games that mattered the most. And, and, and so sometimes I think when we analyze Cousins, it's like, we like to look a lot at the micro stats and sort of the, the small, like, hey, well, he's, you know, very good graded by PFF. He's very good when it comes to some of this statistic or yards per attempt or, or whatever. But the, the bigger picture is this really didn't work for what you thought it was going to do. If you had said, if you were a 4-12 and 12 team and you were trying to get relevant, you signed Cousins and you had these last three years, you might feel okay. You might be like, well, we got us back to a certain bar, but that wasn't what what you did. So let me ask you this, um, I think, challenging question. What percentage of this, where they sit right now in the situation we just laid out where you're stuck in the middle and you don't have money to spend um, and you're kind of banking on draft luck, what percentage belongs directly on the shoulders of Kirk Cousins? I mean, only the most delusional Vikings fans think that the signing was a success. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that Kirk isn't a successful quarterback. Like that's like the that's what we can't we have to be able to divorce. Kirk is playing really good football, but I'm telling you, like that's like saying, you know, I buy a Porsche and I put it outside my house, but I can't pay my mortgage and I can't pay heat and my kids are you know are cold. And it's like, but my Porsche is zero to 60 in two seconds. And like, but you're not a successful person, you know, like the the Porsche is doing what it's being paid to do, but everything else is crumbling as a result. And I think that's where we get, like, I don't think any of us think Kirk sucks. Like, no, Kirk's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL on a good year, but you're paying for that too. And you're paying for that at the expense of gestures at the entire team right now. And and the other thing, and again, not all of it falls on the feet of the Vikings. Um, you know, the pandemic caused, you know, salary cap issues that were not undeserved by a lot of teams. But but that's the point. When you put 
when you shove all of the chips into the middle of the of the table, like all the bad luck stuff, that quarterback that you're paying a ton of money to has to overcome it. And I'll tell you what, Kansas City's banking on Mahomes doing that, and Dallas is, for better or worse, banking on Dak to do that. Houston was banking on, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson to do that, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and those, those guys, you know, Deshaun was the third best quarterback in the NFL last year, and people are like, well, they were only 4-12 and 12 type of thing. And, and again, that's that does fall on the quarterback's shoulder. So even though, you know, I would say like probably 50% of Vikings Twitter believes the Cousins signing was a smart, was a good move, I, I still think it's a failure. And not because QB wins or a staff, but because the goal of the signing was explicitly to get over the hump and and you've fallen you Sam's right you've fallen back down a little bit and and, and uh, so I think like I think the Kirk Cousins signing is probably responsible for at least fifty percent of the issues that currently you know be keep the Vikings from being where they want to be and again none of it's because Kirk can't average eight yards a pass attempt it's because that money requires Kirk to probably average eight and a half like Pat Mahomes and he's just not capable of that. I, I I agree with you, Eric, and you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say Kirk is 51% responsible. I will give him the majority of the pie chart for these last three years. I think anything that happens from this point on with Kirk and this team falls on the front office's feet because they're the ones who wanted to extend this ex- experiment. Um, they, they saw what happened in 2018. They saw the, the year when your defense, I think, was still equipped to, to go deep in the playoffs. We started to see the signs of decline, um, and then they set in more in 2019, but that defense could have gone a long way. Um, they made a, maybe a, a bad choice. Well, it was a bad choice, an offensive coordinator for, for what they expected to do, and obviously you know, Mike Zimmer didn't know what he didn't know when they made that hiring, but uh, Kirk wasn't able to overcome that season. Um, and then after seeing, you know, what happened in 2019, yes, uh, he was better. He took care of the ball a little bit more, but that was also an outlier of a season. Um, and you only won one playoff game, and you didn't play well in a lot of the biggest games, like at Chicago, at Green Bay, at Kansas City, at San Francisco, all these big road games they had where Kirk Cousins fell flat. Um and they gave him the extension. And I think I think now they're on the hook. I, I don't think you can blame Kirk Cousins anymore because you know what he is. I think you have to put it on the feet of the, the decision makers that are bringing it now into 2021 and beyond what they signed up for initially. Yeah, Kirk does – I mean, that's the thing. It's like at this point and, – and I – Kirk's a – mercenary is the wrong word, but, like, it's a different thing with him, right? Like, Pat Mahomes, his contract – is structured in such a way to be very friendly to Kansas City because his goal is explicitly to win five Super Bowls, six Super Bowls, seven Super Bowls. Tom Brady, you know, be, probably because his wife makes more money than him, but also because, like, he's getting money, whatever it is, right? But he took less money from the Pats so that he could explicitly win seven Super Bowls. You know what I mean? Troy Aikman mm-hmm. took a pay cut in 1995 so Deion Sanders could sign with the Dallas Cowboys because he was irritated that they gave one of those Super Bowls back to the 49ers in 94. Like, that's a different kind of quarterback, whereas Kirk, I mean, Kirk's explicitly in it to make as much money as possible. So everybody who's like, he should take less to, and it's like, no, like, he's not, at some point in time, he's not the issue. You know what he is. And and the only way out of it is to, you know, is to sort of move on 
and and chart a different path. And I understand that that's scary because you could deal with four and twelve every once in a while. But I, I'm telling you, you're not winning a Super Bowl with the way that the thing is currently constructed, unfortunately. What, what's interesting is that Kirk Cousins cannot be blamed for being absolutely, thoroughly, completely, and 100% Kirk Cousins all the time. Like, th- this is what he is. It's what he was before. And you should have known as the Vikings what it would take to get him to a point where you could win. So here you have this very clear baseline of play from Cousins that is the most likely outcome. He is the most consistent quarterback in the NFL. Nobody is more predictable year to year, and I mean that for better and worse, like how he'll play against certain teams, when he'll show up, how many games that are going to give you a chance to win per year. So you know all of these things. Now maybe you didn't know quite as clearly the first time through because it was only a three-year sample, but those three years were very much Kirk Cousins so now you get a bigger sample of two more years and you look at the roster and say we still needed a top five defense to get a six seed in the NFC and a single playoff win we still needed two elite wide receivers we still needed an elite running back you can't go much farther than that without an elite or very very good offensive line all right so how are you going to do this now if they had said Let's make him the long-term quarterback, long, 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 like seven-year deal, 10-year deal, whatever. He is quarterback for the foreseeable future like Mahomes is for Kansas City. Then you would have this approach that we discussed earlier where you could take the long game and you could hope to get Jefferson and other players on rookie contracts because the thing about 2017, Eric, is they were actually spending a lot of money on the quarterback position, but all those superstars were on rookie contracts. It can be done. It's not entirely just if you sign a quarterback to a big contract, your life is over. It is uh, you better – find a way to work around it. And that way is not trading for Yannick Ngakwe. And when I look at their situation right now, as they cut Riley Reef, it's almost like I used to do this. I would mow a lawn for my neighbor. I get 10 bucks. I would run right to the card store and spend it on a $10 card. And I'd be like, yes, I got a $10 card. Um, just because you got $10 million of cap space, don't run out and give it to somebody that is going to take up that one position and repeat the same mistake. Like, and that's, and, and sorry, but it circles back to the short term nature of the deal. Why if Kirk says I'm only taking a short term deal, like, well, but that's not really fitting with our windows. So maybe we just shouldn't do it is kind of the process that I think they should have had in hindsight. Well, and, and then the, the weird part was the deal last year at this time was sort of like, give us some space so that we can do what we need to do this year. It's like, for like, what were you doing this year? Like I I didn't get that. And, and they were, yeah, they were just really like, I don't know, schizophrenic about how they were going to handle 2020 in a weird way. And I just don't think that they were equipped like 15 draft picks is a great step in the right direction. But then Michael Pierce and, you know, and, and then, but then having absolutely no freedom during training camp to sign Logan Ryan. Right, like you know, like they're not that bad at talent evaluators. You know, in preseason that Jeff Gladney can't play yet. You know that Holton Hill and Chris Jones can't play. You know that like you don't have, and they, you know, they went out and got Ngakwe, but they paid up for him. You know, like there, there were plenty of players, and there are going to be plenty of players, by the way, this August that are available for cheap because they're not being signed now. The, you know, there's such a surplus of players right now. 
teams are in love with the draft. It's like it, it is, and it is as valuable as I think it is. So there's going to be tons of players in August, and there are going to be teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, by the way, who until this offseason never gave a signing bonus to any player in the in the liked, uh, you know, sort of uh, draft part, who have $4 million to give to Leonard Fournette, right, when he's dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. that end up being players, but you can't do that if you're constantly, as you talked about, you know, pl- you know, working today to pay off yesterday. And that's basically what the Vikings have been doing for a long time with a lot of the stuff that they're, that they're doing. And they ran out of it. Like we, uh, we talked about this um, on another podcast, which was you look at their team and there's literally no players anymore after Riley Reef who have a roster bonus. You can convert to signing bonus to do the trick. They've run out of all the tricks, right? The, the bills do. And unfortunately, like for them, they, they just have to chill out for a little bit, and that's not going to be good for people who are sort of fighting for their own jobs in the front office and at the head coach spot. Hey, everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855 217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Yeah, and uh, Antonio Brown, too, for the Bucks. You mentioned Fournette. How about Brown? Like, how about, you know, bringing in those those veterans that the Vikings have been pretty hesitant to do for whatever reason? they're, They're not really all about supplementing this roster with a lot of outside guys. Uh, Rick Spielman cares about his draft picks a lot, sometimes too much, uh, to the point where you've got third-year players taking up roster spots um, because they think they might become something in, what, a rotational role? Like, uh, the leash is very long with their own guys and very short with anybody from the outside. And calibrating that, I think, this year is going to be key because – You've got this massive draft class from last year. You're going to have a massive draft class from this year as well. So you've got like over a third, probably close to half of your 90-man roster will be 2020 and 2021 acquisitions. You're going to have to cut bait on some of those guys, you know, before they've had their three-year stint on the roster where you think you can need to fully evaluate them. You'll have to make some tougher decisions and hopefully – um, to compensate, you bring in some $1 million veterans that can play or at least try and give them a chance to make an impact um, instead of clinging so tightly to these 23-year-olds that probably aren't very good. Although I would love, Sam, to see very exciting things happen for our hashtag content uh, when it comes to the first day of free agency. Hey, I think we're on the same page, all of us, that signing some cheaper free agents because you're not in a position or at least you haven't shown that you're going to trade Daniil Hunter, trade Harrison Smith, tear this thing down, look to trade Cousins or any of that. But I do think that quarterback is not 
out of the realm of possibility. And partly because the Packers just did this last year. Like, yes, they have needs all over the field, but there's no bigger need for your franchise to know where you're going at the quarterback position. So I want this answer from both of you. Let's say that uh, you can only draft one of the top five, or I'll add Kellen Mond here and make it six quarterbacks <laughs> uh, for your recent podcast with Chris Sims, Eric. Um, but it, it can't be Trevor Lawrence and it cannot be Zach Wilson. I think the other three slash four have a chance to fall and be there at 14. We never really know. We always think we know because of like mm-hmm. Dane Brugler's mock and you know, whatever, but always there's always one there's always two and and we're always surprised at quarterbacks that drop so if you could pick one guy to build the Vikings future franchise around that is of course not Zach Wilson and not Trevor Lawrence because those two guys are decidedly off the board who would it be do you want to go first Sam uh the guest goes first you got it okay okay. Uh, I'm gonna go with Justin Fields I think Justin Justin Fields is I don't think he has the upside that some people think, um, but I think his floor is really damn high. And I also think that he's tough. I also, there's a lot of things we like ding Kirk for. And while I think fields, as far as like the, the statistics, the on field stuff, he fits perfectly into one of those offenses, the Shanahan and the Kubiak offenses. But he's also just like, I mean, he beat Clemson with like five broken ribs. He's just got, an it factor that I think, you know, all of us gravitated towards Teddy when he played for the Vikings, even though I think we'll all admit he's not a, a great quarterback. There, there's, there's intangible things that people love about playing with certain players. I think Justin Fields, while there is a gap, I think, between he and the top two guys, I think he's a very, very good prospect, especially given the economics of football right now, which is on a four, you know, if you, if you surround him with talent, and you put a good offense around him, and you give him a platform from which to throw, I think he could be extremely successful for the Minnesota Vikings uh, if he were to you know, come even close. I mean, if he gets to pick seven or eight, the Vikings should just trade up and take him. And, uh, you know, the, the Kirk thing is tough because he'll, his contract will be guaranteed by them, but they should still take the shot at it. Yeah, I was going to go Fields as well, um, but Trey Lance is not far behind. Uh, I think that Trey Lance, because there's so little information about him, and again, because he's an FCS product, it's possible that he actually is like the second best quarterback in the draft and we just don't fully realize it. Also possible that he is a bust. Like there's a, there's boomer bust potential here, but just based on like, he's a modern quarterback, obviously with the mobility, he's got great size. There isn't, necessarily a, a fragility risk like you had with Kyler Murray. I mean, he's, he's a big body, and I think he has pretty good arm strength too. So I would take Lance and just try to revamp things, like like do something different. Um, let's get ahead of the curve. Like if everyone's going mobile quarterback, let's be one of the teams that uh, is kind of ahead of the curve on this while, while there still are like a lot of statuesque quarterbacks getting shuffled around out there. Be different than your peers. And, uh, and and try to be unique. So I think Trey Lance it re- would represent a really exciting shift for the franchise. And I, like I've told Collar, 
I am a little biased because I just want it to happen. I think it'd be a lot of fun to cover. Sorry, I, I would go Justin Fields as well, um, but I get you on Trey Lance. I just think with Justin Fields, Eric, that everyone's starting to overthink it. Like, he's the overthink guy. He's the, like, Lamar Jackson should play wide receiver. Uh-oh, he didn't run the 40 at the combine. I don't know if we can draft him. Or can he throw outside the numbers? Uh, you know, yeah. they seem to be doing the same sort of picking apart of Justin Fields, even though I like Zach Wilson better. But if Justin Fields becomes Ryan Tannehill, you can get to a championship game with that level of quarterback if he's not expensive. The, a couple things on Lance that I think are interesting. Um, so he, in 2019, the year he started every game for North Coast State, he had 22 dropbacks in a game while they were trailing. And so, like, that's, like, very Kirk 2019-like, right, where everybody's like, mm-hmm. Kirk has turned the corner, and it's like, well, actually, Kirk never had to bring the Vikings from behind except in a Denver game against Brandon Allen. And then the other one that's really interesting about Lance, um, and it's why I really do like him as, like, a Mahomes-type prospect where you already have a starter and you bring a guy in and you let him sit. And, and if you can tell in practice, so there's a great story about Mahomes, uh, my boss, Chris Collinsworth, when, when they were playing, when Kansas City was playing New England on the opening night of 2017, the Patriots reportedly planned for Mahomes. Mahomes was so, like, impressive during preseason. He was so, like, you know, Andy Reid could not stop talking about him that he, like, did not believe Andy Reid that he was going to start Alex Smith for another year. So, like, that's – I think Lance has that kind of upside. But one of the interesting points of data besides that was he had more yards on passes that traveled more than 20 yards downfield than between 10 to 19, which is just sort of like 10 to 19 is where the bread is butter in the NFL. So, mm-hmm. for Lance, I don't think you can draft him into a situation where he has to play in year one. Um, but he is, a, I think, a pretty good prospect. Um, just from like, I mean, he just throws the ball really well and he has, he's moves well into your point that he's like got, you know, he's got some physicality to him too, which, which I think is probably why he'll be drafted in the top 15. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think that tools are what everyone's going to focus on now after Josh Allen developed into a very good quarterback for a year. We'll see if that sustains for a long period of time. Carson Wentz was also a great quarterback for a year, and I'm not entirely sold on Justin Herbert either, but the toolsy guy is in. So that's why it's weird because I think that, you know, Fields, as accomplished as he is, there's also that Ohio State thing, and there's the wide open receivers running underneath, and there's the your team is like the Big Ten is not good. So like you're you're playing against inferior competition all the time. But then you know Trey Lance has that same sort of thing, and this is why we get it wrong constantly with quarterbacks. And your guy might not be the guy that that turns out. But I think that's an interesting discussion. Last thing for maybe both of you could give me an answer here. The free agent that you are very, very interested to see where he lands. I mean, for me, I think it's Kenny Galladay. I think Kenny Galladay had, um, you know, a little bit of a claim to being the best wide receiver in the NFC North before last year. And I think obviously Adams grew the distance between him and everybody else. Jefferson emerged. Thielen kind of fell off. Galladay, to me, is like a number one wide receiver that didn't play much last year, that everybody's sort of sleeping on, that, we're all going to look back and say, why the hell did we not see this coming last offseason? Yeah, um, there's a lot of options. I think Alex Smith is, is interesting just because is is someone going to hope he can be a bridge quarterback in, in like an interesting situation? Probably not. Um, but I'd like to see where he lands. Um, 
Boy, the the Kansas City tackles, honestly. I know Fisher had the injury, um, but seeing where Mitchell Schwartz lands as well, see where they kind of slot in, because I think that tackle group is getting deeper and deeper by the day. Like, it started out, it was just a few guys, and now Reef joins the mix, and Fisher and Schwartz. Um, th- there's some options for you there. So, yeah, let's let's see kind of the hierarchy of – the tackle position. Do you guys think that, that Riley Reef is, is the number two tackle on this market? I have him like third or fourth. Um, I don't think he's number two. Well, and the thing about this tackle market is, you know, I always, I always think about Irvin Santana when I think about like how much tackles costs. We're like, you know, the twins didn't have, and they get like a number three starter, he's 15 million. And I'm like, God, that's a lot of money. And it's like, well, you have to spend that much money to get competence. And I think like tackles, another one where like, you come up for air and you're like, wow, Eric Fisher makes more than Mitchell Schwartz and Mitchell Schwartz is the best right tackle in football. And, and, but I, I think that might turn around this year. The reason why I think that is you have so many tackles that are available in the draft. You also have the carrot that is Orlando Brown and Orlando Brown, I think rumored to have a possibility going to Minnesota, Minnesota, obviously all the trades with Baltimore end up well, it seems like, um, and then, and then you have these tackles who are sort of like none of them are all none of them are perfect. It, it, Trent Williams is the closest thing to that, but he's even like a year removed from like cancer. So we're there, there's not. So I think that the tackle market might be suppressed enough where you know some team might get a really good deal. And and, and I wonder I wonder whether that deal is going to be in the draft where everybody sort of signed free agent tackles or probably more likely after the draft where, you know, maybe Reef or maybe uh, Fisher, you know, maybe Schwartz, although it looks like Schwartz might retire. Like one of those guys is going to wait until after the draft to find a team that wasn't lucky enough to select one in round one where there's kind of a crop that's like relatively full of them uh, come April. Now my pick is Cam Newton because I was just watching Cam Newton's game against Seattle early in the season before COVID, and he looked really good. He's throwing the ball well. He was moving the ball uh, on the ground like he used to. And then he got COVID and played some really poor games and then had some bad luck in games too. I mean, he fumbled at the end of a game against Buffalo where they almost won. And they still ended up 7-9. and nine. And, and one of those losses went to Jared Stidham, right, or Brian Hoyer. Brian mm-hmm. Hoyer must be. Yeah, in Kansas City. They really, really didn't have a shot in that game. Yep. Right. So if you are, say, the Bears or if you're the Broncos – and you're picking up Cam Newton for $800,000, I think you're making an incredibly good move as opposed to signing Jacoby Brissett or Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tyrod Taylor to be your bridge quarterback. And the New England Patriots were not just bad. They were absolutely horrific. Tom Brady couldn't register a 90 quarterback rating the year before with that roster, and that roster was better the year before because they had a bunch of opt-outs. So Cam Newton is number one on my list. I'll be interested to see where he goes, and if the Bears don't get him this time, I think they've they've made a mistake. And the, the Pats, you know, they have the third most uh, cap room, I believe, maybe third or fourth. Yeah. And part of the reason was is they treated last year much like we thought the Vikings should have, which is to sort of, you know, Cam Newton gets you, you know, on the green, right? He, as you said, some bad luck putts, and they're seven and nine. And, you know, the defense kind of eroding a little bit. Like, they had no pretense. Like, their defense started to erode in the second half of the 2019 year where they went 12-4. and four. Brady was like a six-and-a-half yards per pass attempt guy with that offense, and it just got worse because Edelman didn't even play, and they have nothing, nothing at the tight end position. We look at Cam. He still managed 20 total touchdowns. He's 12 on the ground. 
Like he, Cam is one of those players. Like I think again, where like almost everybody's wrong about him. The people that think he's a bum are like, you know, they had never watched football before. And the people who think he's like the best, I think is, you know, they're they're obviously I think a little bit overvaluing him. But to to a team that's going to pay him like five, even like five million dollars, I feel like is is going to get a quarterback that can at least give them a shot. The PFF Forecast Podcast. I listen to every episode. Your last one with Chris Sims is a must-listen because if you want to hear how a former NFL quarterback breaks down quarterback play, I mean, he really gave a dissertation on it. It was terrific. So you and George do a great job. Uh, Sam, thanks for your time. Eric, thanks for your time. And another successful Friday roundtable. Thanks, guys.